Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, summer episode number five. Happy July. Happy Hello. July to you. I've got a, a little tidbit I learned. Did you know that the very first French fries were not actually cooked in France? They were cooked in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to laugh. I knew, I knew where you were going with that the whole time. Oh, and so I was good. like, uh, yeah, that's funny. Did you like that, Tim? That was great. <laughs> he, he did not think that was, was great. That was, that was better. Wow. Was better. Okay. All right, all right. What's really fun is when your kids are trying to figure out puns and tell, tell oh, jokes. <laughs> There's the awkward laugh because they actually don't know what's going on, but they know that they're supposed to laugh. Yes. Well, then, then they're trying to create the joke. Yeah. And I mean, it's not funny at all. No. No. Actually, so Evan's right at that age. And so yeah. just at dinner tonight, he said something, and I can't remember what I did, but I used a word with another definition, and he just looks at me, and he gets this like, wait a second, Dad. It was the... I'm just he so got excited. it. He did. Yeah, he he's, start, he's just in the last two weeks started to figure those out. Fun. Well, let me be the first to say... Aw. I'll be the first to say, poor kid. Oh, God. <laughs> Harsh. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> Amen. Uh, okay, so we, uh, as always, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. Let's talk about some books. Okay, I'm up first here. Uh, I've been working through Exodus a fair amount, and so a uh, commentary that's been pretty helpful, Dwayne Garrett, a commentary on Exodus. It's in the uh, Kriegel Exegetical Library. This is a pretty new series, and I've been pretty pleased with several of them. Uh, it's stronger at the beginning, um, like chapters 1 through 20, than it is at the end. But uh, that's probably the portion most people are going to when they're studying Exodus. Generally speaking, they're probably not as interested in the construction of the tabernacle or the law codes. But anyway, uh, I just, um, it's what I'm reading right now. I figured I'd throw it out there. Commentary on Exodus by Dwayne Garrett. Yeah. Okay. So the book that I've got, we actually mentioned this on the podcast. Let me actually pull this up and find out which episode it was. It was when Dr. Newman was here. So if you'd want to go back and listen to what Dr. Newman said about this book, it was a book he recommended. Uh, so let's see. Would have been episode... Probably episode 23. Yeah, I think it was the first one. I don't think we did books in business for all three of those. Just 23, yeah. Yeah, so episode 23, if you want to go back and hear Dr. Newman talk about this, but the book is Have We No Rights by Mabel Williamson, and it's 12 chapters, and I'm pretty sure if I... Am get, gathering the context correctly. She was a missionary, and uh, I, I want to say in China, but a single lady missionary in China, and she's talking about kind of the the thrust that we have that we think we have these rights to things, and she kind of categorizes different ones like a right to a normal home, a right to use my time the way I want to, you know, all this stuff, and frames it in the sense of if you think you have these rights. And you're like indignantly holding on to them, it will not be a successful ministry for you. You have to learn to give these things up. And it's very interesting to read about. Uh, I'm not sure when it was originally published, but I'm, I'm assuming uh, its original publishing was probably you know at least a few decades ago. And you kind of get a snapshot into the lives of missionaries in China 
So it's, it's, it's a, a little bit historical in that sense. Like you're reading about how things have happened or were happening, which is incredibly interesting from a ministry standpoint. And then on the spiritual level, it is incredibly challenging. And uh, two of the ones that were uh, particularly challenging to me, the right to uh, use my time the way I want to and having the right to run things. Hold hold, hold on, hold on. Can you make this less convicting, please? The using the time the way I want to. Can please not talk about that in this episode? I want to. I I think I get to run it, and uh, I think I get to use the time that way. Horrendous. I think I have the right to talk about whatever I want to talk about in my books and music. Hey, this is supposed to be my content piece. (laughs) That's right. Are you pressing your rights on that one? Well, so okay, it's it's. if you can get it on Kindle right now, I pulled it up on Amazon. You can get it for free in Kindle. So it's like, I think it was free months ago when Newman was here too. You can get a paperback. There are paperback options for like five bucks. Uh, but yeah, Kindle, you can get, uh, this, uh, one version is free. So you have no reason not to get it. And I do think you'll be very challenged by it. You could probably flip through it on like Kindle on your phone in probably a couple of hours. It's not, it's not difficult, but it's challenging. And uh, for anyone who's pursuing ministry or wanting to serve, uh, I think it brings a lot of great reminders to the table from a unique perspective from a single lady uh, who went to the mission field. So um, I will echo what what, uh, Dr. Newman said. It's very good. And I I would rate it probably like a seven. Hmm. In all seriousness, the reason I brought that up is I think that our culture is uniquely uh, individualistic when it comes to time usage. And so just whatever Dr. Newman said in episode 23. And then I thought you were going to launch into it more there. I I need to read that, but I'm just scared because, you know, I'm pretty busy and we're all in ministry, but I know there are areas where I use my time the way I want to. And it's easy to think you're not like selfish or whatever, but like there are little areas where my heart wants to do what I want to do with every minute. So anyways, that's just why I brought this up. So thanks. Thanks for convicting me. All right, so I'm reading a book on anti-gravity, and uh, it's impossible to put down. <laughs> Horrendous. Oh, Tim you saw it coming. Like going I know, with I know, all the jokes. I know, I know. Okay. No, uh, so this week, What's again. What's it called? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't have a name. It's a joke. Wait, would you know what it's called? Do you have a name for it? I don't know. Like, okay. So um, since I'm not, I'm doing a lot of other projects right now, so I don't have a lot of reading going. Uh, but I'm going to recommend a resource that I really, really like that's been helpful and I've recommended it multiple times before. And I think it's a really attainable book on theology. If you don't have any books on systematic theology as a whole, a really good book to start with would be the Moody Handbook of Theology by Paul Enns. Um, I've, when I, in introduction to Bible study, which is a class I teach in the fall, we talk about resources to get, to have on your shelf just as you're starting your mini theological library. And I always say, start with a good commentary set that's like one or two volumes and then like branch out to a slightly larger one. Then look for individual volumes. And then when I talk about theology, this is one of the books I always mention because Enns is really, uh, he's solid, he's concise, but he says enough that it's explaining issues clearly. And then at the end of each chapter, he has further resources to study. So it's called the Moody Handbook of Theology. And if you don't have a theology library at all, this is like a one volume you can pick up and it's going to, it's going to be a really good resource. Now you could pick up something like Grudem or Erickson or, uh, you know, any of the big ones. The problem is they're, 
it's going to be kind of heady. And if you've never delved into it, this book will be a little bit easier for you to dive in on. Plus, those ones are not as close to us theologically. Yeah. Yep. This one is is good um, if you're learning. I think this is a good one to learn on personally. So I really really like it. And there's an updated edition. I have the old one, but the updated one that you're selling now is like got a whole section on church history that I'm like, ooh, that looks good. Mm. Yeah, that's a great volume even to take, say, like a high school group through. You can learn like a specific doctrine. Hey, we're going to go through pneumatology and then just take one theme per Mm -hmm. week. Um, Our youth pastor has done that at our church Uh, or even a Sunday school uh, or adult Bible fellowship, a a quarter uh, and just work through a doctrine. So furthermore, I would encourage you just to read theology. This is something I'm not very good at either. Uh, Just even reading like a section uh, a day or a section every other day just to become more conversant with theology and what uh, correct beliefs are. Yeah, and just to throw a note in here too is, um, I know I mean one of the goals of this podcast is to get you, the listener, to engage on a thought level with mm-hmm. good books, yep. and then to take those thoughts and to discuss them with people. And I think it's really important when we get into a theological realm like that. It's like you weren't designed to do that on, a, on an independent level. God in his plan has people that are supposed to help you with that. And so if you, if you attend a church with, I think most of our students and most of our listeners would be attending a Baptist church like we would, but maybe that's not who you are and that's fine. But the pastor is meant to be a theological shepherd to you. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why, you know, from really the, all of church history, (laughs) the pastor's been a very theological position. It's because, you know, they're the ones that have studied this. They've given their life to that one field of study. And so I'm going to, I'm going to add a facet or two to what you should, you should buy theology books and you should read them, but do it with your pastor. Yeah. Like the guy that your church literally pays to theologically shepherd mm-hmm. you towards God. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go to that guy and say, hey, can we read through this theology book? And I guarantee you they want to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't. Maybe, maybe there's one out there who doesn't. But m- most pastors would love that opportunity. So, And I would just say that for some of our listeners, I remember growing up and getting the wrong sentiment. Uh, so I don't know. Someone t- said this once and I picked it up as a re- resentful, rebellious teen probably. Uh, and I remember saying, I, I had just come, I, I was like somewhere where we were going to learn and theology came up and I said, very condescendingly, I don't want to know theology. I want to know God. And it was this, yeah, you should laugh. I should be laughed at and mocked. You know how, you remember how Dr. Myron used to laugh? He would yes. just kind of open his mouth and make that like breathy, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's but, what I wanted to do. Right there. But, but in all seriousness, the more you learn about the character of God, about his word, that's actually knowing that's part of the foundation of how you know the Lord. It's, it's, I understand like you could know all theology and not have a good relationship with him, but knowing more about his character, isn't going to harm your relationship with God. It's actually going to enhance it. And the, the, the quippy phrase is true that you often hear everyone's a theologian, but not everyone's a very good one. 
because theology is just having beliefs about God. And so if you haven't read a theology book before, I would I would echo Charlie's sentiment here. Get with your pastor or youth pastor or get like with an older uh, believer who's walked with the Lord longer than you have and pick up a book, maybe this one, and uh, start reading it. It's a, it's a really good place to start. So I'm sharing from the book of Exodus today, and uh, I'm going to be looking at a few clauses. I've been recently studying Exodus, and there's this phrase that kind of stuck out to me as I was working through the plagues. And uh, the phrase is essentially, in order that you might know. In order that you might know. What chapter? I'm going to be looking at a few chapters, but chapters 8 through 10. The first the first use of this phrase comes in chapter 8, verse did I say eight through 10 mm-hmm. <laughs> chapters, eight through 10. The first verse is actually chapter eight, verse 10. Uh, so he said tomorrow and he said, let it be known according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. So the setting here in chapter eight is the, the plague of the frogs. And so the frogs have completely inundated the land of Egypt. And now God's going to kill all of the frogs. What? That's so riveting. You're going to make Tim croak. So the, (laughs) well, the frogs all croaked and that's what God did. And that's what was making them know the Lord. As soon as you said that, Andy and I looked at each other. We knew one of us was going to just jump at the chance to make a frog pun. (laughs) We hopped at that one. Horrendous. Okay. So I'm going to read the verse again. So he said tomorrow and he said, let it be according to your word. So Pharaoh's like, okay, get rid of the frogs. I'm going to let you go out and worship the Lord. And, and, uh, um, so what time would, would we be able to do this? So how about tomorrow? And he said, let it be according to your word, Moses says, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And this is interesting. How does God prove that there is no one like him? Well, he kills all the frogs. <laughs> That's how he proves that he is God. It wasn't the creation of the frogs that proves that there's none like God. All right. I mean, God did that and they came out of the river, but then that all of these frogs are just, you know, dead. And that proves there's none like you. There's none like the Lord. And then the second time that for this phrase occurs is in chapter 8, verse 22. And, then, and this is the plague of the flies. And so I'm going to read chapter 8, verse 22. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. Okay, so this one's connected specifically to the land. And how is it that the Egyptians learned that the Lord is the Lord? Because he can specifically target a specific location and penalize it. Okay, so Goshen, just to the north, they're fine. But here... In Egypt, they're uh, enduring this plague of the flies, the gnats, the bugs, the mosquitoes, whatever the bug is. It's actually some discussion on the identity of that insect. So uh, that's the second time that we have this phrase, uh, I am in order that you may know. The, the third time is in chapter 9 in verse 16. Chapter 9, verse 16. But indeed, for this purpose... Okay, what is this? This is the plague of the hail. So the seventh plague. Uh, Now I'll read it. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up. Okay, this is really good. This is really big. God has raised Pharaoh up. He's placed Pharaoh upon the throne. And uh, he has used him... And then I'm going to continue reading. That I may show my power in you, through you, and so that my name may be declared in all the earth. 
Okay, so here we have the sovereign God who's placed this guy on the throne for the specific purpose of manifesting his own power. The guy who thinks that he's in control, Pharaoh, is not in control of all, at all. He's a pawn, and God's using him in his rebellion against God to glorify himself. So we have this use uh, in the, the coming of the hail. So you have the extreme power of the Lord with the hail and the thunderstorm uh, in, in uh, the seventh plague. Now, continuing in the seventh plague, we have the fourth use in chapter 9 and verse 29. Chapter, uh, and and uh, uh, I'll just read it. So Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord and thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So God not only has the power to boom, bring the storm that kills people, by the way, okay, the hail and the the lightning and the thunder, but also he's the God that can just make it be gone, and uh, that demonstrates his power over the earth. Um, so that's the fourth use of this phrase. Now, the one I'm really wanting to get to is here in chapter 10. In chapter 10, we have two uses or three uses of this phrase in verses one and two. This is the plague of the locusts. Now, the Lord, oh, by the way, as the text goes on, you know, Pharaoh is getting, I mean, things are heating up really badly, okay? I mean, we're up to the eighth plague now. The locust is the eighth plague. And um, some of the earlier plagues were more of a nuisance, but now things are being really destroyed. People are dying, um, and so now we have these locusts and, and Pharaoh and Moses, their re- relationship has deteriorated substantially. So now it says in chapter 10, verse one, now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons son's son, the mighty things I have done in, in, in Egypt. Okay. So that second use is the one I want to zero in here so that you may tell, okay, the children and the grandchildren, the mighty things is what the new King James translates this word. But this word, it's not really the mighty things. What it really is, is the, the deceitful tricks. Now we don't like to think of God that way that he would trick, but what is Pharaoh doing? He's trying to trick the Lord. Oh, yeah, I'm going to let him go. And then what does he do? No, they can't go. And he does it again and again and again. And this was something that just really struck out, struck me in this passage as we're going through it. Here is this, is this uh, king, and he's trying to trick God. But who's actually being tricked? Pharaoh is actually the one being tricked by God. And God is using him to display his power, to display his wonder, to display his glory. And so this phrase, it, completely, it connects that idea. So I just want to read uh, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 2 again. And that you may tell in the hearing, and by the way, this is connected to, you know, declaring the... Um, the things that God has done, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son, the, the, uh, the tricks, 
that I have done in Egypt. So often when we go through the Christian life, we think that we can get away with things. We think that God's not looking. We think that we can deceive God. Might not actually physically say that, but that's kind of the way that we live. We actually are a lot of times acting a lot like Pharaoh. (laughs) But guess what? God is the one that gets the last laugh. And we might think that we have created our own uh, our own God. We may think that we have created our own system of theology or our own uh, ethical system, but God is the one that will be glorified through your life. Um, as I've had to interact with some, some an individual that's rejected God and God's ethical guidance. Um, and I think through how God is going to be glorified through this individual's life. You know what? God will be glorified through that individual's life. It's not, they're not getting away with it. Okay. They're not, um, God is the one that will receive the glory and he will manifest his glory, uh, through everybody's life in one way, shape or another. And he does that here in the, through the life of Pharaoh. There are still another three, uh, different uses of this so that they might know phrases. The last one comes in chapter 11 and verse nine, but the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Why? so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Why is it that the Exodus happened? So that God could be glorified. When we think of Exodus, we just think of the plagues and God's mighty hand. But as you think through who God was in the book of Genesis, he was not the God of the Exodus, or he wasn't known that way. He was more of a God that worked providentially through dreams. Think of the Joseph story. Um, He doesn't step into history and just intervene miraculously. He often works through individuals and accomplishes his his, uh, goals in that way. Yet here, his special people are being physically touched and there's nobody that can deliver them. So what does he do? He steps in and we get to see, we get to learn who God is in a totally different way. And so what should we do as a result of that revelation? We should worship him. We should glorify him. And as you have listened to this, I pray that you would even do that. Take a moment, glorify the Lord, spend some time in worship to him, sing a song of praise. He is a great God and he is worthy of all of our worship. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.